We are starting uh, Acts chapter 20 today. And so if you can open up there, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. So Acts 20 verses 1 through 12. It says this, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, Farewell, and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, uh, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him into his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. Thus ends our reading of God's encouraging word. May all who hear it find much comfort in their risen Savior. So the moral of the story is don't fall asleep in church, right? (laughs) Particularly when your pastor is preaching to you. All right, message done. We can all go home, right? All kidding aside, I, I, I imagine that we have all at one time or another have been guilty of having heavy eyelids during church, am I right? Uh, I remember this one time when I was a college student and attending New Life Church. We were, we were having our, our large group gathering that, that met in the dorm. Uh, it was more of a midweek gathering. Um, well, one night, uh, as we were having the, the, to preface this, the night before we had that gathering, I had stayed up very, very late. Um, and part of that, I was just a, a foolish college student, right? That's what college students do. And so I was extremely tired and was really having a hard time keeping my eyes open during the teaching. Uh, and yet it wasn't really until after the teaching was over that, that things got real. But that was when we uh, were taking communion together. You see, after, after the communion cups were passed out and as we began to pray, my exhaustion got the best of me, and I began to drift. And as I was drifting, my grip on the cup slipped. And the next thing I knew, 
I had spilled grape juice all over the carpet floor. You can imagine my embarrassment. Um, in fact, uh, my pastor was sitting right next to me as that was happening. And so, but, you know, when you think about that little faux pas that I had, right? And you compare that to what happened to Eutychus. Boy, that's a whole different story, isn't it? I mean, Eutychus didn't suffer from embarrassment. He, he actually died because of his drowsiness. Now, now, this unique story that we find in, in the book of Acts today, it combines the, the tail end of Paul's third missionary journey with this miraculous resurrection of this young man named Eutychus. And the question we must ask is this. How are these things related? What, what, what do Paul's visits to these churches he had planted in the past have to do with this young man being raised from the dead? And what is the resurrection of Eutychus really pointing us to? Now, now it's been two weeks since we've been in the book of Acts. Last week I, I preached from... Uh, the Gospel of Matthew uh, on, on the baptism of Jesus. And so before we set in, let's, let's do a little quick reminder of where we last left off um, back in chapter 19. If you recall, Paul, he had spent two years in the city of Ephesus. And, and God was doing incredible, incredible things, not only in that city, but really throughout the whole province of Asia Minor. Remember, there were, there were miracles happening through, through the passing of uh, these, these, obj- this cloth, these cloth objects that had touched Paul. Um, they, they were bringing healing to people and casting out demons. Um, and then there was uh, the sons of Sceva who tried to cast out a demon by using the name of Jesus and Paul. And, and, and they were uh, severely beaten by this demon. And so the whole... The whole city of Ephesus was now aware of what was going on. And God had their attention. And, and thousands upon thousands were turning to Jesus Christ. They were, they were leaving their pagan beliefs behind and becoming totally devoted to Jesus. And in particular, one of, one of the gods that they were no longer worshiping was the goddess of Artemis. Remember? In fact, the gospel was having such an impact that, that those who were directly involved in the Artemis cult, well, well, they were taking a financial hit. Remember, it was Demetrius, the, the head of the Craftsman's Guild, who, who called that emergency meeting. He, he gathered them all together and so, so, so that they might figure out how to prevent any further financial losses. And it was this Demetrius who, who, who blamed the Apostle Paul, Right? He said that this man's message was, was the cause of their downfall. And what was Paul's message? That gods made with hands are not gods. Well, this Demetrius was successful in causing a stir among the guild members, and, and this led to a near riot throughout the city. People began chanting in loud voices, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And and thousands upon thousands had gathered to the city theater in order to raise a ruckus. 
And remember, they had dragged Gaius and Aristarchus, two of Paul's traveling companions, to the stage of that theater in the hopes of drawing Paul out in order that they might deal with him. And yet God had his protective hand upon Paul. Paul wanted to go, but, but the brothers and sisters in Christ prevented Paul from going down to that theater. And then God was able to use the city clerk to speak sense into the mob and, and to end the madness. And when all was said and done, Paul was not harmed, and both Gaius and Aristarchus were set free. But even though there was now peace, it was through this uproar that, that, that the people could see how much the world despised the gospel message. And the world still despises the gospel message, does it not? And that's because when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, it truly is a direct assault upon their gods. And this leads us to our passage for today, where we see Paul about to leave Ephesus. You see, the church in Ephesus had grown strong. And because Paul had already spent two years in that city, the Holy Spirit was now prompting his apostle to, to leave the city, visit some of the other churches that he had planted, and then head back to Jerusalem, and eventually travel to Rome. In fact, Paul had decided to do this even before that riot took place. We, we see this back in chapter 19. Look at, look at verses 21 and 22. We see Paul's plans. It says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And so we see Paul's plans to leave Ephesus. And we know that even before those riots began, he, he had sent out some of his traveling companions ahead of him in order that they might prepare these churches for his arrival. And now in our verses for today, we see the beginnings of that journey. Look, look at Acts chapter 20, verse 1 again. It says this, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And so even though there had been that uproar in Ephesus, Paul was able to leave safely as he planned on doing. And yet he, he would not leave before giving a word of encouragement to the church. And that's because Paul had developed such a deep, deep connection with these people, had he not? And why wouldn't he? I mean, after all, he, he had been there for, for over two years, leading them, guiding them. These were his friends. These were his, his family. And this really sets up the theme for, for our passage for today. For, for true gospel ministry, it creates a, a deep bond that can never be broken. That's what true gospel ministry does. It creates deep bonds that can never be broken. I hope you guys see that. I hope you guys feel that. I hope you guys experience that. Let's see how this plays out. Let's continue in our passage. Look at, look at verses 2 and 3. 
When he had gone through those regions, the regions of Macedonia, that is, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And so we see that Paul had worked his way north to Macedonia and then, and then turned south into the region of Achaia or Greece. But, but what was he doing in those regions? If you take a look at the, the map in the next slide, we can get that up there. I don't know, that's pretty small writing. I don't know if you can see those. Um, basically, this is the route that, that Paul took on his third missionary journey, you know, starting all the way over there, way over in Antioch. You know, he had worked his way to Ephesus, which, which is right there. And now he spent two, over two years there. He's working his way up through Troas, from Troas, he would have sailed through Macedonia and then down, down into Corinth. And, and that's what we're reading about here. Um, and, and so this is the route that Paul would have taken. Uh, and, and so if you think of this, part, part of what we see is that through this journey, he, he reached the city of Troas. And Troas is going to play a key part of our passage today. And the reason we know he passed through Troas is because of something we read in one of Paul's other letters. Take, take a second. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says this, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. And so we see that Paul had visited Troas before heading into Macedonia. And we see as well that the gospel was having a mighty, mighty impact in that one particular city in the city of Troas. And yet Paul did not remain there. Why? Because he was eager to find Titus, another one of his traveling companions whom he had sent on ahead of him. But, but just keep Troas in mind, for we're going to go back to this city before the, the, the end, of, end of my sermon. But for now, let's, let's, let's get back to our passage. Get back to the passage in the book of Acts. Uh, look at verses 2 and 3 one, one last time. Remind ourselves of what's going on here. It says, When he had gone through those regions, those regions being Macedonia, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And, and so we see that Paul, he, he made it to Macedonia and Greece. He had worked his way visiting the churches that he had planted there. What were those churches? There was a church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Berea. There was a church in Athens. And then finally in Corinth. And that's most likely where he stayed three months, probably during the winter when, when travel would have been difficult. All in all, what, what we read in this, in this short little section most likely was a span of about six months of Paul's life. And, and while we could easily just gloss over these verses, I believe there's actually a lot that we can glean from them. 
particularly if we, if we take into consideration all that we have seen before in the book of Acts. I mean, think about this. These were, were places where, where, where churches had been started by the Apostle Paul. They had been established, right? These churches now had elders of their own. They were able to govern themselves. And while these churches did have issues, I mean, you just need to read the book of Corinthians to know that that church had issues, right? And while they still did need apostolic guidance, I, I don't believe it was absolutely necessary for Paul to personally visit them. I mean, after all, what church is there that doesn't have issues, right? We all have issues. And these things could have been handled either through Paul's letters to them or through people sending, uh, or through Paul sending people to them, such as Titus and Timothy. And yet, yet Paul wanted to visit these churches personally. Why? Why would he want to do this? Because true gospel ministry creates deep bonds that can never be broken, right? These people were dear to Paul as well, and he desired to see them once again. And, and con consider how Paul addressed the Corinthian church in his first letter to them. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now these are words of a man who has a great love for these people, are they not? And even though this church was having a lot of issues, Paul remained steadfast in his affection for them. That's the type of love that Paul had for God's people. And did you notice the wording that Luke used back in, back in the book of Acts when, when he described Paul's time in these cities? Luke, Luke tells us that Paul had given them much encouragement. In other words, Paul's presence lifted the spirits of these believers. And this is another thing that gospel ministry is all about. It is about bringing encouragement to the saints. For the past 22 years, God has allowed me to do ministry in a number of different cities. In Ann Arbor, in Chiang Mai, in Karat, in Allegan, and, and now here in Oxford. And in each and every place, I have developed deep and, and lasting friendships, bonds that will never be broken even though for most of these people we are now hundreds if not thousands of miles apart. I, I don't know about you, but anytime I get a chance to, to reconnect with someone from my past, it, it brings my heart great joy because I am able to share 
in that person's life once again. It's an encouragement to me. And my hope is that it, that it is an encouragement to them as well. And bottom line, what, what we see going on here is, is, is brotherly and sisterly love that can only exist in the bonds of Christ. That's why Paul is visiting these churches again. That's why he takes the time, this, this six-month span of his life, to go from church to church to visit people that he loves. And yet in this world, in this world that has fallen, in this world where time is fleeting, it seems that like all good things must come to an end, right? Paul would have to move on as the Spirit was guiding him. But before he could leave, there was a new threat that had arisen, right? I mean, look at the second half of verse 3 in our story. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Paul's original plan was to, to winter in Corinth, spend three months there, and then take a ship back to Asia Minor, and then set sail for Syria, where he would once again return to Jerusalem. And yet Jesus had other plans for his apostle, right? This plot was formed by the Jews in, in Corinth, uh, a plot to waylay Paul on his way to the sea. And yet Paul got wind of this plot, and he decided to divert from his original route. He would travel by land up north once again through Macedonia, work his way eventually to the city of Philippi, and then take a ship to Troas where he would then reconnect with those who were traveling to Jerusalem with him. And my, I got to imagine maybe Paul was kind of excited that he needed to take this detour. He got to visit the people whom, whom he just visited once again. He got to see him one more time. Well, let's look at verses 4 through 6 and see what, see what happens next. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. I mean, look at this list of names. These were, were men. Put, put up verse 4 there again. We, we have Sopater. We have Aristarchus and Secundus. We have Gaius and Timothy. Tychicus. Trophimus. These were the men who were traveling with Paul. Seven men from all around the Roman world. Men from, from Galatia and, and Asia. Men from Macedonia and Achaia. And what, what, what we discover is that Luke would be with him as well, right? For we'll once again see the use of the words we and us in this passage. And so Luke is traveling with Paul. So that means Paul had eight companions on this journey. But why? Why so many? Well, Paul never worked alone. 
right? He was always bringing with him those whom he was discipling. And this is another thing that we see of what it means to be in true gospel ministry. For true gospel ministry means to be in close, intentional discipleship relationships with others. It means to have companions, people who are with you through thick and thin, people who are doing ministry together. This is one of the reasons that we have established our small groups in this church, right? We, we are trying to set up these points of connection outside of Sunday morning where we can link together with one another and develop those tight-knit relationships where we can be discipling one another and sharing in ministry with one another. Dear friends, what, what is described here in these verses is a demonstration of the dedication that Paul had. Building relationships in a ministry context, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. It requires time and energy. It requires effort and patience. And that's why we as a church need to be intentional in connecting with one another. In order that we might develop these stronger bonds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul had this tight-knit group of men, people whom he could trust, men who would travel with him, right? I mean, travel's not easy today, but imagine how travel was back then. These men were traveling with Paul in order that they might bring the gospel to more and more people. And the reason Paul had such a group was because he was intentional in developing those relationships. Are we being intentional in developing relationships today? Well, we see that the seven that are listed here, they sailed from Corinth to Troas, while Paul and Luke went up to Philippi. There they spent even more time with the body of Christ, Again, we see how important all the believers were to the Apostle Paul. I imagine if Paul could have hit the pause button, he would have, right? Just to spend one more day with those who were near and dear to his heart. And yet Paul and Luke would eventually have to leave and reconnect with their traveling companions in the city of Troas. But, but why Troas? Why would they reconnect there? Well, because we know that the gospel was already having an impact and influence in that city. Jesus had opened a door in Troas. Well, let's see what happened once Paul had returned there. Look at verses 7 and 8. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And so here we see that it's the first day of the week, right? Or, or rather, it's Sunday. And what does the church do on the first day of the week? We gather together for worship. This was the practice of all the churches in the, in the first century and really throughout the past 2,000 years. 
the churches would meet on the Lord's Day as the body of Christ. And yet not everything is exactly as it was back then. So, so what is different between the, the first century church and the church today? Well, well, for one thing, is the time that the people would gather. You see, in our society, which, which has been shaped by a Christian worldview, we keep the Lord's Day holy, meaning that most people don't work on Sundays, right? And, and while that is slowly changing as our world becomes more and more secular, our churches typically reserve Sunday mornings for worship. But in first century Rome, most people worked every day of the week. Only when there was some type of festival going on would people take days off. Of course, those who were Jews would, would take a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath rest every Saturday. But really, they were the only ones who were practicing a day of rest. But because the Lord's Day was on Sunday, this meant that everyone within the church would have been working on that day. And so when they had gathered together, they would do so in the evenings after the workday was over. Typically, they, they would come together, they would have a meal with one another, and at that meal, they would take communion together. And it wouldn't be until after the meal was over that they would then sit under the teaching of God's Word. And this is what we see going on in Troas. This, this new fledgling church was, was having their evening service, and Paul was the one who was bringing the message that night. And this demonstrates for us two more things of what it means to be in true gospel ministry. First, true gospel ministry means to be faithful, to gather together on a weekly basis. And one of the reasons that we gather together is so that we might develop those close, tight-knit bonds that are uniquely present in God's people. Second thing we see, true gospel ministry also means to be faithful to the teaching of God's Word. And one of the reasons we, we sit under the, the authority of God's Word, under biblical preaching and teaching, is because it is through God's Word that we discover our commonality with one another how we are unified in Christ, right? And so just like Paul and just like the early church, if, if we want to be a part of true gospel ministry, then we need to be committed not only to gather every Sunday, but also to sit under the authority of God's word. And yet there's one more thing that we should notice from these verses. And that is that the apostle Paul had a lot to say, Right? Luke tells us that he prolonged his speech until midnight. In other words, he, he just kept preaching and preaching and preaching. And there were probably two reasons that Paul spoke so long. Reason number one, many of the people of Troas would have been new believers in Christ. And I'm sure that Paul wanted to instruct them as best he could in the very, very short time that he had with them. He wanted to prepare them for the trials and the tribulations that they would have to face down the road. Reason number two, even though these people were brand new believers, even though Paul had probably just met them only six months prior, they too had become near and dear to Paul's heart. 
And so just as in Corinth and just as in Philippi and just as in all those other cities, Paul wanted to spend as much time as he possibly could with these folks in order to develop that deeper relationship that only comes through Jesus Christ. I mean, bottom line, these people were now Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ. And they were just as precious to him as were his traveling companions, men who had been by his side for years. But that's what it means to be in true gospel ministry. It means to be devoted to those who are new and new to the faith as well. Again, I think back to a time when I was in college and a, a student at the University of Michigan. I, I had a couple of friends who, who, I, who I had grown really, really close with. Their names were Joel and Jomo. And, and the reason we were so close was because we were actively involved in ministry together. We were in small groups with one another. We, we prayed with one another. We shared the gospel together. Well, one day we met another student sharing, as we were sharing the gospel. His name was Vikram. And Vikram was from India. And he had never heard anything about Jesus Christ. And so when we shared the gospel with him, his eyes were opened. And in God's mercy, this young Indian man believed. Well, going into school the next year, I had a decision to make. I could either move into an apartment with my friend, my close, dear friend, Joel, or I could stay in the dorms and live with Vikram. And while I was closer with Joel, I knew Vikram needed more guidance. And so I chose to, to live in the dorms another year, to live with him and, and because of that choice, I was able to utilize the precious time that I had in order to build into this young man's life. And this is the type of dedication that we see here with the Apostle Paul, right? He knew his time was limited, and so he wanted to make the most of it. He, he would preach to dawn if he, if he had to, if it meant preparing these young believers for their new life with Jesus. And yet when you preach that long, it only makes sense that people are going to get weary. Right? And that was when catastrophe, catastrophe struck. Look at verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, now what you have to understand is that, that windows back then were not exactly like our windows of today. They did not have stained glass, right? They didn't have panes of glass that you could see through, nor did they have screens to keep the bugs out. No, windows were made to be wide open with no barrier. They, they, they were there to both give light and to give a breeze to the room. And in fact, our term window stems from the words wind and door. And that's why it was foolish for this young man named Eutychus to be sitting on the sill of a third-story window. 
Perhaps earlier in the evening it would have been all right when he was awake and alert. But with Paul going late into the night, he he probably should have moved. Now I commend this young man for, for sticking around, for desiring to hear Paul's teaching. And I'm sure he tried his best to stay awake and to listen. But he probably should have chosen a better seat than the one that he did. Well, Luke tells us that it was around midnight that this young man could no longer keep his eyes open. And as he nodded off, his body slumped right out the window, dropping three stories to the ground. And I can only imagine the chaos that ensued after this tragic, tragic event. That all the believers would have been in a frenzy. And my guess is that even the neighbors were probably woken from their slumber after hearing all the screams that were coming from those who had witnessed his fall. And I can picture that third-story room clearing out as everybody rushed down the stairs to see if this young man was still alive. And yet he wasn't. He had not survived the fall. He was dead as dead can be, and the, the impact from the fall just was too great and his body lay there lifeless. And that was when Paul stepped into the frame. Look at verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. In a calm confidence in the Lord, Paul went to this young man, bent over him, took him into his arms, embraced him. And it was at that moment when the Holy Spirit used Paul to restore life to Eutychus's body. A tremendous, tremendous miracle to say the least. But this has been Jesus' MO from the get-go, hasn't it? I mean, throughout history, we have seen God do miracles such as this. I mean, consider some of the resurrection stories that we get from the Old Testament. We see God using both Elijah and Elisha to bring dead boys back to life. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus as well. In the Gospel of Luke, we hear about him raising both the daughter of Jairus as well as the widow's son. And then in John's Gospel, we get the story of Lazarus. But there's more. For, for it wasn't that long ago that we saw in the book of Acts the resurrection of Tabitha through the hands of the Apostle Peter. Jesus has been in the resurrection business for a very, very long time. And now here, here was this young man named Eutychus. And God was now working through his apostle, the Apostle Paul, to raise this young man back to life. But why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus choose to bring some of those who have died back to life? Because these things present to us a true picture of who he is. I mean, think of the story of Lazarus. Look, look at the Gospel of John. Look at, look at John chapter 11, verse 25. Here we see Jesus speaking. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Listen, Jesus didn't just defeat death for his own sake. No, he did so for us, for his people. And it is through his resurrection that, that all of us who have placed our faith in him can have hope. Hope that death is not the end. For Jesus has the power to raise us back to life. And that resurrection power was on display in a great, great way in the city of Troas. And what could have ended in tragedy had now become a reason to celebrate. Look at our last two verses in, in the book of Acts. Look at verses 11 and 12. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. You see, what could have been an evening filled with tragedy had turned into a night of encouraging celebration and fellowship. Paul would not allow this boy's fall to disrupt their time with one another. In celebration, they broke bread together once again, giving thanks to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the miracle that he had just accomplished, bringing restoration to their brother Eutychus. They were rejoicing together in the saving power of their king. And yet what happened to Eutychus was only a taste of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. For there will come a day when Jesus will return and all who are dead will be raised to life. Those who have rejected Christ to eternal destruction in the lake of fire. But for those who believe, those who have, who have trusted in their king, they will receive eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. They will live together as the family of God in the presence of their king. And this is the real reason why true gospel ministry creates these deep bonds that can never be broken. Because this hope that we have in Jesus is an eternal hope. That this life is not the end. It is only the beginning. And so true gospel ministry is always looking forward to the resurrection. Yes, our time may be short, and we should use it wisely, but that wisdom comes from an understanding that we will have an eternity to spend in Christ's kingdom with those who have become so dear to us. And there is much, much encouragement in that. Dear friends, I, I ask you as a brother in Jesus Christ, in what ways are you strengthening the bonds with the brothers and sisters that Christ has placed in your life? How, how are you bringing much encouragement to your family here at New Hope Church? I mean, Jesus, he has knit us together in him. Isn't that crazy to think about? 
we are a family. And because that is the case, we must use our time wisely. Let us cherish our time with one another as we dedicate ourselves to the true gospel ministry that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, you have given to us a, a, a picture, just, just a taste of what is to come. That in the consummation of your kingdom, when, when your son returns, there, there will no longer be times of worldly separation between our brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather, we will be reunited and truly connected in a way that is greater than, than anything we can even experience now. But until that time, help, help us to hold fast to the hope that can only come through your Son. And help us to be involved in, in your true gospel ministry as we, as we value our time with one another before Christ returns. We can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would fill us today pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.